talk about it in a second. If you would read that. <clears throat> Verses 24 through 32. Yep. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, wow. Doriani says that God judges humanity because it suppresses the truth. In uh, Romans 1, 18-23, we saw that many judges people because they practice unrighteousness, and this wrath is shown, and I think you see this in a somewhat shocking way. It's, it wouldn't be expected had it not said this in Scripture to me. God exercises his justice not by punishment, um, but by a judicial abandonment. Those three times we see it, and super sad, God gave them over, 24, 26, 28. Um, and then Stott says... He lets people go their own way, right? That's what he does. And that alone is a, a, a tremendous show of wrath there. God, Stott says that so far we have this, uh, that this is the most dreadful description of the entire human race in all of literature. The most dreadful description of human race in all of literature. And, there, and there's two more it might be worth um, looking at. Thomas, would you read one? If you could go to Ephesians two one to three but the other one is right and we'll just re you read that in a second but turn over one page to matthew three i think this i mean from to romans three romans three um 10 through 18 josh would you read that because yeah. this is i think similar in its um in the in a dreadful description of of humankind and we'll get to this in five weeks yeah, verse 10, as it is, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah. Devastating. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, don't you think this would be another one of those where you just say, it's just good for us to think about this for a second, if you don't mind, our Thomas. Sure. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yeah. So these are um, things that we need to go to often, and if we had a little bit more time, we would talk about the importance of just why we do need to go to these passages. Um, they're not pleasant at all. They, they're quite a description. But um, if we go back to, and this is where, Josh, I'd like to, you to help us here. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to a dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here's where we get to certainly uncomfortable and uh, very timely in our day and age, the 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 Paul's description and um, his insights on homosexuality. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, look at here the second time, God gave them over to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are un, uh, that are contrary to nature. And men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in, self, in themselves the due penalty for their error. There's natural relations for the unnatural, passions, consumed with passions or shameless acts. There's penalty, it's error, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in Scripture what the Lord um, gives us clearly about homosexuality that's completely contrary to what uh, our world would want to convince us of. Josh, do you have insights there for us on yeah, this? Yeah, so we're, we're jumping back in today at verse 24. So we're kind of inserting ourselves midstream into the argument. Um, verse 24 starts with, therefore. Uh, so we want to look at what, what is Paul connecting here when he's saying, therefore. And he's connecting God's handing people over in their lust with their culpable rejection of the knowledge he's made available through his invisible attributes, his divine power and eternal nature, and they have suppressed this. The Gentile has suppressed this knowledge, and there is this terrifying um, explanation of God's response and giving them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Uh, Doug Moose says, God initiates this process of removing his restraining influence. God's, God's wrath would be the removal here of his restraining influence. I think Stott said, he abandons stubborn sinners to their own willful self-centeredness. Um, and then another commentator said, it, as they or as the Gentiles abandon God, he abandons them. And so I think this is just a terrifying picture of one form of God's wrath. Um, I don't, do you guys have any thoughts on that before? Yeah, Carter. <clears throat> yeah, Josh, tell us about what might be different. It was interesting to me, and Mark has some more insights if you catch him on this, but he related, uh, and he did it over the summer, and I needed to go back, I didn't go back and listen to it, but that this verse 18 to 20 on general revelation that God has revealed himself even through the natural relations of a man and a wife. And um, just the way he made men and women, there's a natural way to 
to reproduce and to, um, you know, as, as we just see, to, to grow um, the population as he desired. And this is contrary to nature. And one commentator said, that's why we have two verses on this and one word on the next 21 other sins. Right? There's a, there's, this is not just a regular sin. Um, one commentator said, this is an unnatural sin that will have then unnatural consequences, the due penalty for their perversion. Josh, can you tell us, can yeah. you make that connection? Yeah, I can try. Yeah. Um, 25 was interesting to me this week studying. And look at verse 25. You see there are just two options given here. Um, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served two things, either the creature, the creature or the creator. I think this is important for us um, fundamentally as human beings because we are worshipful beings. We will either worship God, the creator, um, and all of his manifold attributes and works and what he has done through Christ, or we will worship the creation in, in, in the myriad of ways that idolatry takes place. Um, I think Calvin called the human heart a factory of idols and that we have a propensity to worship so many different things instead of God. And Paul's highlighting uh, a little bit of that here um, in worshiping the cre creature rather than the creator. And because the Gentiles worship the creature, God gives them up. And then he spends two verses here um, going through homosexuality. And I, I think on this issue, if I, I may just jump into it here for a minute or two. Yeah. There's so much blindness in our culture today on this issue. I think there's a lot of confusion. Even just in the last 10 years, you've almost seen a, a wholesale flip on the way the culture approaches or thinks through this issue. You think about 2015, there was the Obergefell decision in the Supreme Court that legalized same-sex marriage. And so... <clears throat> There is a lot of confusion out in the world, but I think for us as biblically-minded Christians, we must be clear on this so that you know our thinking is not impacted by the culture at large. And uh, nowhere in Scripture is there a favorable word given to homosexuality. Hmm. We don't see it talked about as being uh, you know you know a, a lifestyle that's sanctifiable. We, we we just don't see that. We see God's given a clear design. Um, and I, I think this is probably the clearest passage in all of the New Testament on this topic. Um, Paul points out here that it is a rejection of God's design. And that design is clear from general revelation um, that God has made man and woman to function biologically. This is the way it works in creation. Um, there is a clear design for male and female that even without God's law, we know this to be true. And I think that's why he's highlighting the, um, the, how the wrath of God is revealed so strongly on this issue. So That's, that, that's good. Carter, anything else on, on that part of things? Would you say that, I actually had a question um, to, in Bro Bible the other night. Would you say that um, there's a specific reason why Paul um, draws out this specific sin of homosexuality among all sexual immorality. Because in the recent uh, Sunday schools that we've had on, thurs well, on Thursdays, Thursday nights, 
they talked about Paul's uh, word for sexual immorality has been very broad and containing a lot of, you know, impure um, behavior. Yeah. So is it, do you have any... One thing that was a little um, new to me was uh, was from Mark this summer or from that commentator this summer that just said, this is different in that we don't even need, like Josh said, God's law to see that it's unnatural, that it's wrong. And going all the way back to Adam and Eve, God created man, God created woman, be fruitful and multiply, and this is not that way. And so it seems that there is no, I really like what you're saying there, Josh, and go back and read Genesis 19 for a startling, for Sodom and Gomorrah, for a startling kind of wake-up call to how God sees this sin. Now, certainly, certainly we want to lovingly um, urge those that are in this lifestyle to come to love and know Christ, but it can't be a sin that we condone. And certainly we see in how unnatural it is the claim that, no, this is how we were born, that's not from scripture, right, Josh? We couldn't we couldn't say that. If that's what they're um, maybe they would try to say that can't be true from this. Yeah, I think some people or you hear this line of argumentation a little bit today, even from you know Christian theologians, professors even might would say that the against nature, uh, let's see here the God gave them up to dishonorable passions. They're, the women exchanged natural relations, and the men likewise gave up natural relations. They might would argue that that natural use of the term is what's natural to them as the human person. But the text is saying the natural way is the, the way that God has designed yeah. relations to function, not the way that I would see it or the, the, the natural way that I would interpret it. Does that make yep. sense? No, I think that does make sense. <clears throat> So, you know, once again, we, we go to, and I read, uh, I, I thought it was interesting, this was a man who absolutely denies what Scripture says here, but he's saying, there's no doubt of what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear on this. He's just saying, we just don't believe the Bible. We believe that we're past that. Like, that's 2,000 years ago, whatever. So he, even as an unbel- as a, uh, a man who's trying to explain Scripture from a whole wrong way, he just says, you know, our authority is our own thinking here, not scripture. And we definitely know God's the one that uh, is our authority, and scripture is his given word, and that's all we're going to go by. And so uh, Paul's strong here. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, really strong. i got to say this. We were texting with Grant a little bit, and he drew this out for me, and I thought this was really good. Um, homosexuality is, is a reversal of the creation mandate in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and, and man, instead of having dominion, going back to 2023, 20, man turns around and worships the creation. And so you see a lot of, I think Paul's kind of hearkening back to Genesis here and showing how this is not the design uh, that God has given to humanity uh, especially with the way that reproductive functions are supposed to work. Yep, absolutely. So he gives them up, and there's due penalty for this. For those of us that are in the grew up in the 90s or 80s a little bit, which is like what three or four of us here, that not to mention any names, 
but we would remember that at that time it was popular to say, oh, AIDS, that's the due penalty. Like that was a big, uh, a big thing. I read a commentator that said, that's not, uh, that's part of God's wrath towards sin. But, you know, now that we don't hear as much about that, that's not as big a deal right now. Um, that's, he, he just believed this is way more general than that, but there will be unnatural consequences for an unnatural sin. So it's different. First Corinthians 6 at the end, you remember that all sexual sin is different in that it, sorry about that, in that it is um, against our own bodies. But this one is even separate from other sexual sin. Sexual sin is natural in that way, but it's different than other sins. And then this one is set apart even in another way because it's unnatural. I, I believe that's where we can conclude. So he gives him up, right? He lets men go the way they want to go. And I even think when, when we're helping an unbeliever to try to stay, understand their own nature, to say, this is the most devastating thing. If God lets sin run its course, if he lets you do what you want to do, if he, if he's, if God, if an unbeliever is just saying, I just don't want God to be my authority, at that point, there is a devastating consequence. In that, if God leaves them up to their own devices, it's, um, you know, it's, it's there's going to be a lot of wrath because a hundred percent of the time, sin is destructive. It is, and we know that. We know that from our own, from our own sin. Um, Josh, he goes on to list twenty-one vices. Okay, Paul lists vices in other ways. Um, he sure has his finger on the heartbeat of our depravity, doesn't he? We, you know, when you look yeah. at these, he is very thorough. These are somewhat general, but could you start kind of taking us through each one? Um, I wish we had till four thirty, but we would miss Mark. Yeah. Um, yes, I can. So, one commentator called this the mother load of the vice lists in the New Testament. So I think there's maybe 20 or 30 of these sort of vice lists that, that go through these certain characteristics. And Paul, really, it's a comprehensive look here at what humanity looks like when they reject God. And the picture is not pretty. Um, there's a, you know, I think the intent of this is to get through that and just sit back and say, wow, the world is a, is a terrible place when people uh, live like this when they reject God. And so we had the two verses there on homosexuality, but when God is rejected, it's not just restrained to, to sexual things, it, it, it affects all of life. And I think that's another one of the in, intentions here for listing all of these um, vices. So human sin runs rampant where God is rejected, and it doesn't just include sexual things. Uh, I think with some of the terms, probably there's some overlap. Um, I don't know that each one is supposed to be its own thing, but I think after reading it, there's this a collective weight of the evil mm -hmm. of men's heart when they reject God. Um, so the first four, maybe we can look at those, are, are kind of a, a general... Um, kind of description. He starts with unrighteousness. It's the same one that's mentioned in verse 18, and, and that would be anything opposed to God and his character. 
And so it's a, it's a departure from a standard, it's a violation of a law, and it's any kind of unlawful behavior before God. And, and that one is kind of like the topic sentence, I think, mm-hmm. for all of the rest. All, all of these other ones are going to be unrighteous uh, behavior. And the next one there, you want to go in on anything? No, go ahead. The, well, maybe one, sorry, <clears throat> maybe one thing. This is what the whole book of Romans is about, right? How can we become righteous? How can we become right with God? So I like that. I hadn't put that together. But the unrighteousness is the first word to just say, the only righteousness we have is unrighteousness. And he starts right at the top there from this 21 uh, just nasty words that describe us. He starts right with that one. That's good. That's good. I think that Mm -hmm. is a topic word there. Yeah, a lot of this I'm drawn from Boyce and another pastor named Steve Lawson. And there were some dictionaries that helped me kind of work through this a little bit. But the next one is is evil. The NASB translates it wickedness. And it's just another general word for badness. It's the absence or the opposite of what's good. It's the opposite of what is excellent. Um, you know, something that's evil is something that is wicked. I think those two words are heavily synonymous and um, certainly not in the wicked, cool sense of the phrase that you might hear it. The next one is uh, covetousness or, or greed, as the NASB, NASB has it. And, and that one would be the personal advance at the expense of another. I think it's getting at the desire for more, the desire to always want more, want more, never being content with anything uh, that you have. It's that desire for advantage. And Jesus in Luke 15 warns about um, this greed and and tries to guard his followers against greed. And he says, for life consists of more than mere possessions. Um, You guys got anything on that? Next one is malice. Um, I think a synonym of this would be depravity. This, again, is wickedness that delights in doing others harm. Uh, The NASB translated it evil. And this is really getting at the intent to do someone else strategic harm or or injuring or running roughshod over somebody else. Um, And I think the last one in this first group of four is envy. And this is sort of like a jealousy or, or a, a, you know, again, it, wishing ill will to others. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 says, All toil and skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. I thought that was interesting. Envy can um, really be a cause of evil motivation uh, in the heart. Don't and, you think that's alive and well in our world? I mean, which of these isn't, but yeah, you can see that that everywhere you know Mm -hmm. even when sometimes someone would say oh man because they're they have more money than i have that must mean that they're pretty evil you know or or, and a hundred other examples and we can just say no that's a a sign of envy yeah and then um first corinthians 13 4 says love doesn't envy or boast Mm. um so there's a there's a contrast there i think um the next one murder this would be uh, slaughter or, or willingness to kill. And um, on these next five, going back to envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness, um, there's a, these are things that truly characterize a person. They're full of these things, people that 
uh, reject God in their lives look like this. They're totally characterizing the way a person lives. Um, I think, you know, even just to mention abortion here briefly, I think this connotes, connotates murder. You know, even someone that would be willing to murder uh, their own baby in their own womb to get what they want. Um, truly tragic. Strife, that would be contention or quarreling, constant conflict, bickering. Um, I think my own mother could probably attest to what this looks like raising me and my brother. Uh, we were constantly in conflict, uh, bickering with one another when we were younger growing up, constantly at each other's throats. Um, deceit, this would be to trick or ensnare someone else for, for personal gain. It's a, it's a craftiness or trickery. And then maliciousness, this would be a habitual evil or malevolence. Um, it's the total opposite of the kind of person who would be on the lookout to do good to other people. Yeah, that's good. Carter, help us with these next... These, this next six might be something that's really fueled by pride. And really all sin is probably, right? Don't you think at its foundation? But these are especially pride-driven. Give us the help with these first three, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I'd agree that gossip and slander is and being a hater of God is definitely fueled by pride. And going back to a definition that I found in with the help of some dictionaries that is the casual and gossip is the casual and unconstrained conversations or reports about other people. They're not, they're not even necessarily true. And I feel it's so common, not only in the unbelieving heart, but in the believing heart, Mm -hmm. um, how almost every intent to talk about someone else in, you know, as a as an attempt to make ourselves feel exalted it draws back to that self-exaltation and that self-idolatry and slander um, feeds right into that except it goes a step further and not only is it public and it's before others um, slander is just straight up not true talking about someone that's not true whereas gossip is sort of just rumors and that sort of thing but slanders intentionally spread false information and saying these two coupled together um, it kind of reminds me of James 3 when James talks about the tongue being uh, being like a rudder of a ship it's such a small instrument yet it guides the whole ship everywhere and James says that the tongue is a fire and that it is a world of unrighteousness like we see in the first part of the chapter in Romans and that it sets the whole body on fire and he talks about sort of what Grant uh, texted to us about the reversal of the dominion over the creation when uh, James says that every beast and bird can be um, dominated by human beings but no human being can tame the tongue. Mm. And that's just, I mean, it kind of it goes into a, a later um, adjective that uh, Paul, Paul uses that is heartless or it's a complete disregard for other people who are made in the image of God. And it's all fueled not only by a self-love 
or um, a self-exalting attitude, but out of a hatred for God and a hatred for those whom he's made in his own image. Yeah, good. I'm afraid these next three, they could uh, probably be more easily seen. If you're like me, these can be more easily seen in someone else. I can usually name 100 flaws in about anybody. But then if I'm looking for two in myself, I'm like, eh, I'm doing, you know. And that's just, this is just really, we're self-swindlers. I think we need to get, come right out of the gate and say, man, these, if we're honest here, are, we're oftentimes living in this claustrophobic kingdom of self that we are just, we, we get caught up in our own um, thinking and, uh, so there's a 500 um, verses that would attack pride, but the one I just think about, if we're gonna think of one thing this week to attack pride, how about this? For apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15. Right, Jesus just said, apart from me, we can do nothing. So if we're doing anything, right? If we're doing anything that brings him glory, it is only due to the work of the Lord Jesus in our life. And so this is why we need a healthy diet, a Romans one through three, the Ephesians two passage you read, Romans 3 that you read, Romans 8, 7, and 8, we need to go back to these passages on our depravity to remind us that anything that's good, all good and perfect things come from him. Um, and so you look at these, um, they're insulin, it's a special kind of pride, probably stronger in the Greek than we can really understand here. Arrogant, having a personal superiority, puffed up with a contempt for others. I, someone give us insights here. How can we become more aware of these in our own life? Because again, I think we're oftentimes blind to our sin. Paul David Tripp says we're even blind to our blindness. We're not only blind to our sin, we're blind to our blindness at times. Any thoughts on this? And I don't know the answer. How can we become more aware, would you say? Pray, I mean, prayer for sure, right? Show us my, the Lord would pray. In the psalmist, we're called to pray that we would, um, to show us our, our evil ways. Show us our blind spots. What else? Do we have any ideas? Honoring God, like recognizing he's the creator and we are just creation, we're dust. There you go. Yeah, I like it. Sound like Scott right there, right? Go back to the gospel. Yeah, good. What else? Any tricks to really help us to see our own pride? Because, man, it can be sneaky, I'm afraid. Accountability. Good. Yeah. Godly friends. And that Godly friends. And asking them right the hard questions. Where do you see it? And then being willing to not being, because he can ask that, and then I want to say, well, no, I am, I'm not either. What about you? Right? That's what I want to fire back sometimes. Now let's talk about your sin right away. Yeah. What else? That's good, Casey. Thank you. Yeah. I would say um, looking at the cross, um, looking at Christ who was without sin, that gave his life for us. And then when you compare yourself to how you yeah. treat other people, you being a sinner, it's very humble. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. A lot of you have experienced this. I heard someone say yesterday, uh, he was talking about his brother who wasn't married, said, my brother's not married. He doesn't know his own sin. I got married and had kids. I know mine a lot better, right? That reveals it, and uh, and 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 it, and it just it just does, doesn't it? You're Kaylin. You're shaking your head. Is that true? 
I read, um, I think it was from The Meaning of Marriage, but there was a whole chapter devoted to, to sanctification through marriage. Yeah. I thought it was very enlightening. It is, isn't it? I was able to share that with a friend who had recently gotten married. She's like, I just think that I've gotten so much more selfish lately. And I'm that, like, no, no, it, you just revealed yourself. Is it that's, that's what marriage is for. Yes, it, really. But, Amongst <laughs> other things, yes. yes. That's so true. And, and so, um, but I think... That doesn't mean that someone that is not married can't have an equally good handle on, hey, these are things um, that, that I'm really struggling with. And so then that last one there, boastful. Seeing admiration, um, seeking admiration by talking um, about ourselves. And I think that's just a good spiritual inventory to just say, hey, does a whole conversation always have to come back to me? And as I was deeply convicted this week, as even thinking about this, um, you've probably heard it said, this is kind of the secret of self-forgetfulness. You don't have to think more of yourself and you don't have to think less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. Let's just practice self-forgetfulness. Just let's not, hey, and you know the good news? The Lord Jesus has bought us at a price. We're not our own. We're bought at a price. We're to honor him with our body. We don't have to worry about us anymore. He's got us taken care of. So don't think about you anymore. You don't even need to. Focus on someone else. Josh, keep going here for us. No, uh, Carter, you need to keep going for us. 16. Yeah, uh, he mentions inventors of evil. And I think to uh, what you uh, said earlier, that we're always trying to craft up a different way to, to sin because sin gets dull over time. It's kind of like the drug. You hit that peak high, and then you can never get back to that place afterwards, so you have to figure different ways mm -hmm. to maneuver and different routes to take to get as much gratification as you can. Um, and this next one uh, really hits home. It's very difficult uh, to grapple with uh, being disobedient to parents. And I think that is a little, um, it reveals something very deep about your submission to authority and who God has ordained, no matter who they are or what they believe, if they're a believer or not, that you're to honor your parents for this is pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. And it holds a promise that um, you're to be submissive to them in whatever construct that they have whatever rules that they have constructed in the household. And uh, very, <laughs> man. No, that's that's good. You know, these last four, someone said, it's foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Um, someone, one of the commentators says, they are without, and the unbeliever here, they're without brains, they're without honor, they're without love, and they're without pity. They're without brains, they're without honor, they're without love, without pity. We don't have time to go into uh, many of them. I thought that last one, ruthless. Is that an ESV ruthless too? Mm -hmm. You know, I just think about movies we watch, right? Man, some of them, that's just some ruthless uh, behaviors without mercy. Um, and and we, sometimes we can glamorize this. Just to close this, verse 32, although they knew God's desire righteous decree that those uh, that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but they give approval to those who practice them two quick points every unbeliever knows that they deserve to die isn't that something 
that's stronger than what I realized except for about four months ago when we were going over this in class. That was fascinating to me. They know that there's a God, but that's not all they know. They know that because of their sin, they deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. But you know what? We also know we deserve to die, and we're not getting it. The great exchange. Jesus took what we deserved um, because the wages of sin are death. And we know we're sinners. Even as we sit and look at these 21 words, don't we say, whew, so many of those things still apply to me, and probably all of them in some way or another. But God took that. He, last we saw last week, God, Jesus was a propitiation, taking that wrath that we deserve for all of these things. And we start to think about this. There's a different humility. There's a great, in fact, guys that can come to Black Mountain this year, we're focusing on humility um, for, for all three sessions because it's such a huge, huge part um, of this. And then they give approval to those who do it. And we can see that throughout our world. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for uh, this time. And Lord, what a list uh, of things that we're still guilty of, but, but you no longer, because you poured your wrath on the Lord Jesus, uh, there's none left for us, even though we deserve it. And so, Father, we're overwhelmed um, by that kind of grace, that kind of mercy, and that kind of love that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. And we pray that we would go after the unbeliever with a different sort of heart for him, uh, a different sort of hurt for him, and uh, that we would look to uh, evangelize in um, such a way that we would make the teaching of our Savior attractive, that we would um, remember what the unbeliever knows truly from this passage and we would work from that and uh, look to um, point them to the Lord Jesus and away from uh, their own sin as we know you are giving them up um, to their sin. And Father, now we pray that you would use uh, Mark and, and Ian in a tremendous way uh, to lead us and point us to the cross. And we are so grateful. We pray that we would put uh, to action what we have learned today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. We will look at the first five verses of chapter 2 uh, next week. Maybe the first 11.